0: I know a good number of you were at the first service, so really uh, for a number of you, this introduction isn't necessary, but maybe if you weren't at the first service, uh, Dave Bycroft is going to be preaching for us today and uh, challenging us to go for Jesus, to go with the good news of Jesus, and that's uh, what we need to be uh, sharpened with. We need to have ears to hear. Would you welcome Dave Bycroft, please? Good morning and we're glad that you're here and uh, I hope when we get done you're still glad that you came. So that sometimes is in question obviously. How many of you were in first service? Raise your hand. Okay I can't use the same jokes. All right. (laughs) Got to do something different. I don't even know what that is but uh, uh, truth is we are uh, thrilled and uh, just very glad to be able to come and share with you. This is This is my first time to preach since my February the 5th stepping down at Tyro as the uh, preacher there, and uh, so uh, I felt a little rusty in the first service. Maybe I got some of that rust off and can uh, do uh, uh, an adequate job in this service as well, but uh, I just uh, really am grateful for Kevin and Cindy and for the blessing they have been in our lives when they ministered there at Tyro with us, and just uh, because of brother and sister-in-law that uh, we care about, they care about us, and it just makes it uh, very pleasant to be able to share with them in this way. I don't think you understand just how fortunate this church is to have Kevin and Cindy here. Now, I'm sure that showing of affection right there was because of your personal love of them, but let me tell you a deeper reason why. The deeper reason why is because in this day and age, most churches do not have a preacher who is a soul winner. That's sad to say out loud. It's horrible to say that. That a church would have a preacher who's not a soul winner. But most staffs on churches today are content to sit in their office behind their computer. And do everything from that vantage point. And if people happen to show up, all well and good. But if they don't, all well and good. That's a sad, sad commentary on the state of the church today. And you just don't know how fortunate you are to have a man who's helping lead this church who is out soul-winning every week and sharing the gospel. And some of you have been the participants in his soul-winning agenda. And uh, I hope you never get tired of praying for them and encouraging them as they serve alongside of you. If you would, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, or chapter 1, I'm sorry, verse 4. And I'm going to share a sermon that I preached out of a group of sermons from this text. And this whole sermon series was entitled, Your Salvation is Showing. And there's several things in this text that would indicate that this is what shows that you are a follower and a believer in Jesus Christ. And one of them is going to be, uh, in verse uh, 8, that we're going to really focus on here about the sharing of the gospel. And your salvation shows when you share it with somebody else. Do you understand that? You might think your salvation shows when you're going and doing good works. Yeah, it can. You might think your salvation is showing when you take time to pray, and that's good. But the greatest showing to the world and others that you are a follower of Jesus Christ is when you share that life-giving message to those who are in your uh, sphere of influence. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. But I want to read this whole section, verses uh, 4 through 10, and then we're going to land on verse 8. So, knowing, brethren, my beloved by God, His choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, in full conviction, just as you know what kind of men... We proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that we be, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Now here's our verse. For the word of the Lord... "...has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith towards God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception that we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He has raised from the dead, that is, Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. Now, he is speaking here about they being rescued from the wrath to come, but also many other people were rescued from the wrath to come. That is eternal damnation, eternal fire of hell. Many people were rescued because the Thessalonian people were out there sharing the gospel. Now, in this day and age even when the church has a preacher that's a soul winner, most of the congregation is willing to sit and watch as he does that evangelistic effort, and you applaud him in that and just watch from a distance. Not so of the Thessalonian people. The Thessalonian people, the Thessalonian church, the believers in Christ, not just the leaders, were involved in daily evangelism of their friends, their family, their neighbors, their acquaintances, everybody that came into their sphere of influence. When the church finally gets a hold of the understanding that God has called the entire church, every member from the youngest Christian to the oldest Christian, when the church finally gets the understanding that we have been put here to, say, to share the uh, life-giving message of Jesus Christ, that's when the church really comes alive. And I hope and pray that some of the things that we share today will be uh, important to you. <clears throat> Many of the things that I'm going to share today are <clears throat> common sense and biblically accurate. But when you just stop and think about it, you would go, well, yeah, that's what we ought to be doing. So how do we share the gospel? How do you share the gospel? How is it that you're able to influence those in your area of influence? And that's what we want to look at. Different ways... And there can be a combination of these ways, there can be a significant one way that you're involved in, but overall, there's got to be some way that you choose to say, this is how I'm going to be involved in the evangelistic effort. And the first one is one of those common sense things, but also biblically approved. It's just called lifestyle evangelism. Lifestyle evangelism is basically this. People are watching you and see that you live a different kind of lifestyle than everybody else around you. And they are particularly enamored with how your life is being lived out and how you handle all the circumstances of life. And they finally come to the point that they say, I'd like some of that. I'd like to be like that. I'd like to know what they know. If you would read Matthew 5, 16, and my guess is you've heard that already this month at some point, but he simply tells us that we are to let our light shine before men, that they will see our good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine, let your example be seen, just as he talked about there in 1 Thessalonians. Their example had been shared with everybody in that area. They saw these people live differently. You know, people know if you're a consistent Christian or not. Did you know that about yourself? James talks about a fountain that brings forth both salty water and clean water. And he says, there's no fountain does that. There's no fountain that's going to spew salt water and then spew out good water. And neither can a Christian life do the same thing. If we are going to be the kind of example that people will follow, we have to be consistent. And they will recognize it if we're inconsistent. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. Everybody knows that's not possible. If you sit here today and think that you're the perfect example, uh, you and God need to do some business. Because none of us fall into that category. But... There ought to be such a significant difference in how we live and how the lost people of the world live that people notice that we stand out differently and in a good way and in a good vein. You know, people are going to recognize it when we live as hypocrites. In First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 16, he talks about that problem. He says, they profess to know God, But by their deeds they deny Him being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Oh, we know God. We love God. We follow God. And then people watch us and they say, "Uh, I don't think so. And then they don't want anything to do with our kind of Christianity. But when we can live a consistent, godly life, letting our light shine before men, it eventually causes people to desire to have what we have. And you know, sometimes it requires no words at all. Sometimes you don't have to say anything, and people watch the example, and they find out the gospel truth just by watching our example, and they want to know more about it. Over in 1 Peter chapter 3 he talks about wives in that particular vein who have unbelieving husbands. Now, notice what he says uh, about them and how they are to win their husbands. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, In the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. I don't know if we've got any women who are trying to live the Christian life and a husband who's not receptive. But those are powerful words there that you ought to take advantage of. Your husband is not going to be won by you nagging at him and you begging him and all of the other things and you browbeating him. He's going to be won by your behavior. Do you show that you are a true believer and follower in Christ. And oh, by the way, I think that works in reverse. And in this day and age, it seems like we have more and more husbands who are followers of Christ and the wife is not. And so the same thing would become true of them. Sometimes it doesn't take any words. It just takes living out the lifestyle for Christ. But, I can say this, most of the time, you're going to have to connect your good behavior with the message of Jesus Christ. Let me give you a personal example, and I'm sorry about that, but that's the only ones I know is personal ones. Probably 35, maybe 40 years ago, I was going out on a calling night. I had a list of names that I wanted to go and stop and see and share with and try and introduce them to Jesus uh, from a biblical standpoint. And I got about two miles down the road, and there was a truck off the side of the road. And I saw a man and a wife standing out there, and the truck was a big uh, hay truck, and it was full of hay. And they were standing there kind of with the look of dismay, what are we going to do? And so I pulled off and said, are you guys needing some help? And they said, yeah, Uh, got a flat tire. And we took the spare off underneath the truck, and it's flat as well. And we're about 12 miles from home. We don't know what to do. And I said, well, uh, load up. Let's go down to your house, and we'll get another spare tire and come back. So we drove down those 12 miles, and I came back, and and we tried to jack the truck up. And with a load of hay, it wouldn't jack up. And so guess what we got to do? Unload the hay. And uh, then we jacked the truck up. We changed the tire. We loaded the hay back on. And uh, you know what they said? You know what they said because you've said it many times. What do we owe you? And I just simply said, ah, you don't owe me then Glad to help. And I got in the car and drove off. And now, what kind of a witness would that have been if that's what I had done? You know what they have said? What a nice guy. I wish there were more nice guys in the world like that guy. That's just pretty special that he's such a nice guy. Where does God get any glory out of that? Let me tell you what I did do. I simply said, you don't owe me anything. I stopped because uh, the Lord impressed upon me I needed to. Where do you guys go to church? And I got this... um, Um, uh, and then they mentioned the name of a church. So you you, you get the idea. They're not too attracted or involved, whatever. Anyway, I said, well, you guys just keep going to church, and that's payment enough for me, and you have an opportunity to help somebody else. You help somebody else. And then I drove off. I did not see that young couple again for a few years, but I was standing at the front door a few years later, And this couple walked in, and they shook my hand and said, Do you remember us? And I said, How in the world would I ever forget you? (laughs) And then they said this, You know, we told you we were going to church. We weren't. And it's bugged us ever since. And we're here today to change all that. And that family connected with our church And to my knowledge, outside of sickness or being gone, they have never missed church. At last count, that couple, over the years, has been personally responsible for bringing 98 people to the Tyro Christian Church. Now that's a praise God, obviously. But how did God get the praise? How did God get the glory. He got the glory when I connected my good deeds with the words of faith. When you connect those two together, it's going to be the greatest opportunity to help people understand their need to come to Jesus. And so lifestyle evangelism is probably one of the biggest areas of need that we have. In 2 Corinthians 5, and verse 20, he says, We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. I am to be an ambassador wherever I go, whatever I do, whatever I'm involved in, I am there to represent Jesus Christ. Man, when the church gets a hold of that, there's going to be a lot of people saved, there's going to be a lot of people come to Jesus. When people finally realize, wherever I go, whatever I do, whatever I'm involved in, I am there to represent Jesus Christ. That's when lifestyle evangelism works. The second kind is invitational evangelism. And by that, I'm just saying you invite somebody. You ask somebody to come to church you know and understand that that's the number one reason why people come to church. We can put advertisements out there, we can send flyers in the mail, and they can do some good. But the number one reason why people from our community show up at our church is because somebody invited them. When you find the Apostle Philip in Scripture... Every time his name comes up concerning other people, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. He's inviting somebody to come to Jesus. Let me show you one of those passages in John chapter 1 when Philip uh, is bringing someone uh, to come to Jesus. In uh, John chapter 1 and verse 40. He says this, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now John the Baptist has just talked about Jesus being the Son of God and has come to take away the sins of the world. And so uh, Andrew, I said Philip, it's Andrew, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and he found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now what what if Andrew had just accepted the invitation to follow Jesus and never told his brother? Do you know how much of our Gospels would be absent? The life of Peter. And we talked in the first service about Peter being given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And if he hadn't been there, God would have chose somebody else. But when Andrew was willing to go and invite his brother to come meet Jesus, it opened up an avenue of influence and teaching that our Gospels just represent from the life of Peter in such an amazing way. It was Peter that unlocked the door of the church for the Jews. It's Peter who unlocked the door of the church for the Samaritans. It's Peter who unlocks the door of the church for the Gentiles. He was Jesus' right-hand man in particular. And it came because somebody invited him. Now we could think of all kinds of people today (coughs) who invited Billy Graham to go to church. There is a fellow's name, and I don't know what his name is, but I've read it in the past there was a gentleman who invited Billy Graham to come to church. Who knew at that time that he would become the worldwide evangelist that he became? Who who had any idea that this young man would become an evangelist that would lead thousands, maybe millions, to Christ? Nobody understood that, but it was an invitation that brought him. I want to sow a little seed in your mind. When you invite somebody else to church, you have no idea what God is eventually going to use them for. You have no idea that they might become such a powerful evangelistic tool for Almighty God. And that's exactly what we need to be doing with our evangelism method of just inviting people. Most people are won by this method. Most people just get invited to church. They come to church. They enjoy the fellowship. They like the music. You have so many good things going on here, folks. This is an amazing church that God is using and can continue to do greater and greater things But are we missing out on the opportunity to invite so that people can come and experience and hear the gospel and come to Christ? Question. When was the last time you invited somebody to church? How long has it been? I suspect some of you can say, well, I invited somebody this morning, stopped at the gas station and invited them to come to church probably out here i'm probably more convinced that the majority of you it's been a long time since you invited anybody to church and you know what i hear a lot of times when i talk about that i hear people say i have invited those people my neighbors the people i work with other family members I've invited them over and over and over and they just don't come and so I I just don't invite them anymore. Let me give you a heads up on that. Most people will say, no, 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 maybe someday and then they finally come. Let's say you invite your neighbor 49 times and 49 times they resist. And what if? It was only going to take the 50th invitation and you stopped at 49. That happens all the time. Happens all the time. I'm just telling you, don't quit. Don't stop. You don't know when that next invitation is going to open the door and for them to finally say yes and for them to finally say Let's just go to church and get him to shut up. That might be the only reason they come. But they hear the gospel. And their hearts opened. And they find Jesus. That's invitational evangelism. Uh, and there's another kind that I would call fire evangelism. That's kind of, it's a little bit scary. Let me take you over to the book of Jude. That's just right before the book of Revelation. So it's right down there near the end. And there's only one chapter, so it's just verse 23. Jude, verse 23. Well, let's start with 22. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some, have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Have mercy on some, snatching them out of the fire. Now, what fire evangelism is this? It's somebody whose life is experiencing a giant difficulty. I don't know if you've been through a fire yourself or somebody else that has lost everything in their home... It is devastating. It is life changing. It is life altering to lose everything in a fire. And when you and I come alongside of them, whether it's an actual fire, fire, or it's some other kind of fire in their life loss of job, loss of a family member to death, maybe a divorce, maybe. Wayward teenagers. You could go on and on and list all the things whose people's houses catch fire. They're never more receptive than at that moment. You remember 9-11? What happened the following Sunday? Church houses across America were absolutely crammed. Now, that only lasted for a couple of weeks. It only lasted a little while. And and that's the way it is with fire evangelism. You better catch it while it's hot. Pardon that pun. You better catch it when it's in its infancy and be able to strike so that you have the opportunity to help them understand there's people who care, people who love, people who will help. And you connect that with your words about Jesus Christ, and people are most receptive when their house is on fire. Let me, let me give you a strange little example. Let's say you're laying in bed, and all of a sudden you hear a siren coming down the street or down the road, and you realize it stops in front of your house. You see in your bedroom window the red light flashing round and round, and you're wondering, what is going on? And so you jump out of bed and you run to the door and there's the fireman standing at the door knocking and you open the door and and the fireman says, we're here to rescue you. And you say, my house isn't on fire. I don't smell any smoke. I don't see any flames. My house is not on fire. What are you doing? I don't need you in my life right now. I want to go to sleep. Get out of here. But if you get out of bed and you smell the smoke or you feel the heat and the fireman shows up, you are more than willing for him to rescue you. Now that goes on spiritually. There's people out there in the world who don't think their life is on fire. They don't think they have a problem. They don't think that they need a fireman to come and rescue them, a Christian who's trying to save them from eternal fire. They they don't see the need because they don't smell the smoke, they don't feel the heat, and they think you're a nut by inviting them to church. But when their house is on fire, literally or figuratively, and you come to help rescue them, they're going to listen doesn't mean that they will make a decision, but they are willing to listen. They're more receptive than any other time in their life. And that's exactly how you need to approach your neighbors. When you see them going through difficulties of any kind, you need to be the first one there on their step. You need to be the first one to offer help. You need to be the first one to say, what can we do? And then begin to let your light shine and connect that with your words. And you will see many of those people take an interest in spiritual things. In my 47 and a half years at Tyro, I have seen that operate so many times that I can't even begin to tell you how many times people were brought to Jesus Because they had some kind of difficulty in their life and Christians came to the rescue. So when you see that happening, when you see people going through life's difficulties, you need to take it as your responsibility to come alongside. Then there's another one and it's called joy evangelism. Joy evangelism. Now, that's just the opposite. It's just the exact opposite of the fire evangelism. That's when difficulties are happening. And joy evangelism is when they see you and you're going through difficulties in your life and yet you exude the joy of the Lord. Uh, Not ha, 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 look what's happened to me, but... We're going to make it through this. It's going to be okay. Our life is not going to turn into a shambles. People are watching you. You've claimed to be a Christian. You've claimed to follow Christ. And people are going to watch you when you go through life's difficulties, when the doctor has that devastating word that you've got cancer. Or when you get the phone call in the middle of the night that somebody has lost their life. People are watching. How are you going to respond? Remember Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, they were in stocks and they were singing and praising the Lord. I don't know what you'd be doing after you have been beaten with rods and they put you in prison and they put your hands and feet in stocks. What would you be doing? Griping and complaining and, God, what are you letting this happen to me? I'm trying to live my life for you and you let this happen to me? Not Paul and Silas. They begin singing and praising God. And then the earthquake comes, jail doors fly open. The jailer thinks all the prisoners have escaped. And he's about to pull his sword and fall on it because he doesn't want the Romans to do uh, catch him with his prisoners gone. And Paul says, wait, don't do that. Nobody left. We're all here. And he comes running in there. Why their jail cell? I mean, there's a number of jail cells. There's a number of people that are all in prison. Why Paul and Silas? I think there's one reason. There's only one reason. He had to hear them praising God. In the middle of their difficulties, they were praising God. That's joy evangelism. You need to understand, don't waste your difficulties. I don't know, there's probably some people in here right now with some health issues or having lost a loved one or uh, many multiple things. What are you doing with it? God is saying... This is your chance of a lifetime to demonstrate to all those people around you who've been watching you to see what you would do when you go through what they've been through. How will you handle it? And you handle it by praising God and worshiping God and remaining faithful? they will leave your presence saying they really believe what they say they believe. That's joy evangelism. That's being able to use your difficulties to bring others to Christ. Then there's what I call off-the-cuff evangelism. Off-the-cuff evangelism is what Jesus did with the woman at the well. He shows up at the woman at the well. She shows up. The disciples are in town. And she's drawing water. And he begins to converse with her about living water. It was just an opportunity. It was just a chance meeting. It wasn't designed or let's go to this place and see this one. It all happened by chance, and Jesus used it to share the gospel. How many of those do you have every day? Every one of us have some of those every day. Just a chance meeting. Just a one-time thing. You go to a restaurant, and there's a little waitress that comes to your table. What do you do with that? Uh, I've seen Christians really degrade the name of Christ by the way they treat their waitress. Sad deal. When you have an opportunity to connect them. I, I didn't come up with this on my own. I'd give credit to uh, Roger Storms, a fellow trustee at the Bible College and. He shared this with us a long time ago, and I've been using it ever since. Just used it yesterday. When the waitress comes to the table, when they finally bring the food, you just simply say, now, we're getting ready to pray for our food. Is there something we can pray for you for? And most of the time, they fumble around. A little gal yesterday said, yeah, pray that I'll pass all my classes at Pittsburgh State. I said, well, I can understand that one. Uh, the... The understanding is, we left her with just a little bit of understanding. And there was a couple of more engaging conversations after that. And so we have the opportunity just to open their eyes for a brief moment. Just off-the-cuff evangelism. When you get gas at the gas station, when you go to the grocery store, when you see somebody in the hallway at Walmart. Why did you run into those people? Oh, is just by chance was it you don't think for a moment that god may have planned that as a divine appointment for you to maybe offer an invitation divine appointments In the last several years i've started getting up of a morning and one of the, one of my prayers every day <clears throat> most every day is god Give me a divine appointment today. just, And let me have the courage to be able to accept that and to use that and to be a witness for you in that appointment. What if we began every day like that? What if we decided that every day is a chance that I have to connect with somebody just on a one-to-one basis I'm not going to stand there and preach the whole gospel of John to them, but I can make a quick connection and I can lead them to understand that there's a Jesus that loves them. In just a few short words, you're going to have some today. Some of you will go to restaurants today. What are you going to do with that? It's an opportunity that we have to connect people with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Let me mention one last one. And that's what I call prepared evangelism. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 talks about being prepared to evangelize. And he says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready, always being ready, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Always being ready. Are you prepared? If somebody were, and you walk out of here, and you go to a restaurant, and you try to open that conversation, and they say to you, "What, what do I do to accept Jesus? Could you tell them? Could you show them in Scripture? Are you capable of opening your Bible and saying, here's what the Word says? That's what I'm talking about. Be prepared. I can tell you this right now. If you don't know how to do that, it is absolutely so simple. I don't have time to share with you a way that it's simple, but I can say this. All you need to do is to talk to Kevin or maybe one of the other guys on staff and just say, show me how and what verses to lead somebody to Jesus. Why would God ever bring somebody to you if you don't know what to tell them? But if you know what to tell them, God's going to see you as an open opportunity for Him to guide people into your life so that they can ask you concerning the hope that is within you. There's a lot of ways to share the gospel. And I am just hoping and praying that you'll latch on to at least one of these today and decide that for the rest of your time here on earth, It will be the daily activity of your life to be ready to share the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so very much for the fact that Jesus has saved us from an eternal condemnation and you have prepared for us the ability to share that same wonderful story of how Jesus came and died Uh, He was buried and rose again. And from that that giving of Jesus, we have the hope of eternal life. And our way to respond is just to believe that Jesus is the only one that can save us and to to repent, to turn away from sin, to decide to live a godly lifestyle and, and to be willing to openly confess that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and then to to culminate all of that by being baptized into Christ. Father, I pray that we would be quick to share the life-giving message with our world. It's in Jesus' name we pray.